you overestimate what you can do in a day and underestimate what you can do in a year. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. Bowl After Bowl. Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City, Dame DeLorean. So when are we smoking some weed? It is on, folks. It is on. It is off. Bowlafterbowl.com. Bowlafterbowl.com. Oh yeah, bowlafterbowl.com. Keeping it on the rails. With a new Bowls with Buds. Friday night. I know you're feeling all right. We're in the bowl tonight on July 15th, 2022. This will be episode 176 of Bowl After Bowl. I am Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City. I am DeLorean. And joining us the first time in the bowl, it's Mitch from the KC Bitcoiners. What is up, guys? It is an honor to be here. Oh, yeah. Great to have you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. So, Bulls with Buds, you know the drill by now, Bullers. This is a special episode of Bull After Bull where we just sit down in the bowl with our buds and we talk, uh, whatever we talk about, you know, get to know our buds better. And uh, this year, like I mentioned before, Mitch's first time, so appreciate having you join us virtually here. And um, we've had a few Missouri uh, guests lately. So we had Zune, and now a Kansas City guest uh, with Mitch. So that's why we had the Missouri Smash earlier. Heck yeah. Get that Missouri Smash in. <laughs> so I wanted to start off by kind of giving a brief intro. You have founded KC Bitcoiners, the kind of local Bitcoin meetup group. You uh, have been a contributor to Bitcoin Magazine, mm-hmm. and you also co-host uh, with two of our fellow Casey Bitcoiners, the Orange Pill Addicts podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of want to start with that, with the with the podcast, on sort of how things are going and uh, how the um, lightning integration has been for you, because I haven't really got a chance to talk to you about uh, what your strategy was or, uh, you know, how easy or wild the process was to set up and all that good stuff. Yeah, I feel like it wasn't too bad. Um, right now, these sets are going to my node, um, and I think we have some split with OpenSats, which is a fund that donates to open source Bitcoin devs. Um, so I think those are the only two places it's going, and I just went to the podcast index or podcaster wallet, I think. Um, oh, sure. Set it all up there. And it's been pretty seamless. I think there's been a couple of times where um, I didn't have enough liquidity on my node, so the payments failed, but I've kind of sorted that out, and it's been pretty smooth sailing. I get the uh, the Sphinx chat notifications on my phone whenever somebody streams sats yep. or sends it to boost, which is uh, really cool. Love getting those. Very nice. Yeah, it's very fun. By the way, for those listening, uh, we are lit with the live item tag. Uh which I guess you could call a new live son of a bitch. This is a new live son of a bitch. 
Uh, the live item tag, you're able to boost that. As far as I know right now, there's three apps that support it. One is CurioCaster, which was the first on the board, always on the cutting edge. Uh, the next was uh, Podverse, and Boost CLI actually uh, technically was supporting live tag right before Podverse, I believe. Boost CLI is a boosting app you can run directly from your node. So instead of pulling up a podcasting app, you can uh, kind of build a boost and enter the TLV record yourself and send a, a boostogram directly from your own node to the podcaster, which is an interesting, uh, interesting solution. But in tonight's uh, live item tag, or if you're listening to this in the future, uh, we have Mitch in the split. He's a third of the split. So a third of your boost will go directly to Mitch. Forever. Forever. So cool. I love podcasting 2.0. It's a lot of fun because it's mm-hmm. like uh, we've been talking about how we now have programmable money for so long, but really podcasting 2.0 is the most surfaced use case of that uh, that I've seen anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the, the cutting edge for sure of programmable money. And you guys are on kind of the bleeding edge of that. We've tried to... Uh, have all of those tags, you know, put in. And, and there's some that we don't, uh, like chapters, for instance. Chapters has been on my to-do list for ages, and uh, I haven't, I still have yet to uh, integrate chapters into our life here and into our feed. What are chapters, just like specific topics or breakpoints in the episode? Yeah, so a chapter you can mark as like, uh, if you do different segments, the start of those segments, or if you do different stories, you could put uh, links in the chapters, you could put images in the chapters Uh so like for no agenda uh there's a different art um there's a different artwork that's selected every time there's like an art contest people submit what the uh album art is going to be for each episode and one is picked but then during the segment where they talk about the art um the artworks that they mention are like flashed up through the chapters so if you're listening in a podcasting app that supports chapters then you can see them go by as they are, are talked about. Oh, that's cool. So it, it kind of gives you an extra visual aid or visual interaction with your listeners, mm-hmm. which is sometimes really needed. Yeah, absolutely. Especially Very if you're cool. audio only like we are. Um, so yeah, how did you, um, let me start at the beginning. Cause I'm just, I'm assuming here that the first thing that you did was find Bitcoin. And then the second thing would have been the, meetup group and then maybe the podcast yep that that is the correct order yep you're on it and i want to hear the bitcoin origin story first because those are always so fun and like (laughs) varied and just i've never heard the same uh way people discover bitcoin twice yeah for sure mine was kind of the typical bj boyapati has his i think like three touch point theory where you have to have three touch points before you really like take it seriously yeah so first touch point for me was in college. I specifically remember the dorm room that I was in and everyone who was in the dorm room. And I had a buddy who was like raving about Bitcoin and we were playing like NBA 2K or something. And I was basically like, yeah, that sounds like a scam um, huh. and just ignored it. And then the second touch point was basically 2016, 17 during that bull run whenever it got up to like 20,000 and I became, you know, my interest was peaked. I had written it off. 
three, four years ago as a scam and it hadn't died yet. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but I still didn't really take it super seriously. Sure. I bought a little bit of Bitcoin and quote unquote crypto, um, but not much. And I kind of forgot about it because shortly thereafter there was the crash. Um, and then the third touch point for me was in 2020, March of 2020, with the government response um, with all of the PPP loans, the EIDL loans, and the stimulus checks. And it just didn't make sense to me logically. I have an accounting background, and it didn't, like, where was it coming from, basically, is the question I was trying to answer. And it's something I never really thought about, and I knew that Bitcoin was somehow related, um, just from hearing a little bit about it. And so that's really what sent me deep down the rabbit hole. Um, I was working from home and I had way more time on my hands than I had before. So I went on a lot of long walks and listened to a lot of podcasts. And uh, that led to the conviction. And then eventually um, got super convicted. And I wouldn't say I ran out of podcasts, but uh, the podcast listening slowed a little bit and I needed another outlet to kind of explore Bitcoin through. And so I checked meetup.com. There was an old Casey Bitcoin and cryptocurrency club that had ceased to meet in person. They still had a Facebook group, but I think every 10th post was about Bitcoin and everything else was about some random altcoin. Gotcha. So that just led me to start the group on meetup.com. And uh, Brian who is our producer on Orange Pill Addicts. He is actually my cousin. So I texted him about it, and he was in on Bitcoin. So by the time that we started the meetup, so I knew he would for sure come. I had some other people coming, and then that's where we met Don at the first meetup as well, who is our other co-host. Nice. So it just all kind of organically came together from there. You just needed some more people to, to share this passion with, yeah? Pretty much, yeah. The first uh, the first meetup was at, gosh, what was it called? It's in Midtown KC, Brickhouse. Um, okay. And we had probably like eight to ten people. Not a bad showing for the first meetup, but, you know, three, four, five of those people were like close friends of mine that weren't uh, super into Bitcoin. They just came to support me more so. Nice. And from there, I'd say... For quite a while, we were in the like five to eight range, which was kind of really fun, um, just because it was a small group. There was there was zero agenda of any sort. It was just get together, drink beers, and talk about Bitcoin for like two hours. Um, so that was really fun. But it's also been great to see it grow. Um, and now we have kind of a core group with people like yourselves that come um, very frequently and. It's it's that core group plus a a regular inflow of newbies um, yeah. who get interested, and so it's a it's a different dynamic. But I I really enjoyed that one as well. So you mentioned buying a little and then riding out the crash. Uh, mm-hmm. w- which crash are you referring to? Um, whenever it di- quote unquote died in like 2017, 2018. Okay. Whenever it hit, I bought. I don't know the exact price, but it was probably in between the ten to $20,000 range on the way up. And then it went way back down to, I don't even know what it got down to, a um, thousand bucks or something probably. And that's one of where I kind of, you know, 
wrote it off a little bit. I didn't sell it because it was a small amount um, and I was still somewhat interested, but I didn't really check it again for many months or maybe a year or two. And whenever I checked it again, it was Bitcoin was like the only one that had somewhat maintained its value. Yeah. Um, the ETH and Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin, I think, is the other ones that I had at the time. They had all gotten so wrecked, which was kind of a signal in my mind that maybe this Bitcoin thing is different. Like, why is it not getting wrecked quite so bad? Sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch uh, kind of the history because I also got in in sort of a uh, slump where it was kind of declared dead and over after the whole $1,200 peak, like in 2014. Mm-hmm. And then like the spring of 2014, it just started sliding down and like it went down to, I don't know, below 300 bucks or something. I got in like when it fell below 420, you know, I was like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> below. It was like 390 or something. I don't know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, just disappeared, at, uh, stopped using it, forgot about it for like years at a time, each cycle, you know. Um, back then I was playing a little bit with Dogecoin and there were like mm-hmm. faucets and games you could play and like fun degenerate gambling that you could do. <laughs> and so my first foray into it was just kind of like, ah, oh, we can use these like magical internet monies to gamble away, uh, you know, money with, and then it doesn't feel as bad or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I like lost a lot of Bitcoin and, uh, more so dogecoin and then like um when bitcoin cash hard forked you know you get all of that too so like i was like oh cool this like i took that right into the casino too oh yeah that was the the first time that i ever actually used bitcoin was on uh bovada an online gambling site oh interesting to deposit funds because depositing funds was either a giant pain and or you had to pay like a three five percent fee on it yeah and they had zero fees on Bitcoin, so I was like, oh, let me uh, let me get the Coinbase account, and I'll just send some Bitcoin on there. There you go. So how this is the wild thing about uh, my first foray in is I can't even tell you how I bought Bitcoin that first time. It was like 2014, <laughs> and I'm not really sure. I can't even remember. Was uh, Mt. Gox still around? I think Mt. Gox had died at that point when okay. I got in. I think okay. it was like, it was after that, but Coinbase just doesn't really ring a bell. I've used it before, but like not, mm-hmm. not way back then. Yeah, it would have been um, super early days for Coinbase. I don't know when they started, let's See, but I don't know like, what was in between Mt. Gox and Coinbase. Yeah, early 2014 is when the Mt. Gox, I think, went to shit. Okay. Let me see. Yeah, closed 2014. So I... I think that was part of the start of the crash, you know, like the mountain mm, Gox yeah. shit the bed. Everybody lost so much money. Uh, the price crashed. Everyone blamed mint Gox only the, or Mount Gox. Although, you know, it was more than just that as a factor, mm-hmm. but it was like the one that was front and center, you know, now, now as the, uh, price is crashing, like, uh, there's like seven or eight, like very prominent bed shitters like Celsius, Voyager, oh, yeah. all three arrows capital, like all of these different names and players. Like back then it was just pretty much mint gox was like mm-hmm. Mount Gox. I keep saying mint. I keep saying mint and uh what is the name of the video game? Is that 
Oh, is that what I'm getting? That uh, first person shooter. <laughs> no, the is a thing. they do the they do the tournaments. They do like video game tournaments. Bitcoin rally. Uh, that's one of them. But uh, yeah, Mint Gox. I keep saying Mint Gox because yeah. they're uh, <laughs> Zebedee's um, gaming tournament. I don't know if you've heard of that oh, yeah. or, or played okay. it. Okay, yeah, it sounds, it sounds familiar. I haven't played it, but I've heard of it. So Zebedee is like another lightning wallet and uh, one of the first to really integrate lightning addresses uh, mm. per- pretty well that I saw. And uh, their tournaments, they used to do monthly tournaments. I don't know how often they are now. But um, all lightning games, so like uh, there is uh, CSGO is probably the most popular one and the biggest one. Um, if you play Counter-Strike Go, uh, Go Global Offensive, I think, there's a plug-in, like a Zebedee Infuse plug-in that you can actually play for Bitcoin in the game over the lightning network. That's so awesome. like uh, every kill is like a certain amount of sats and then the... <laughs> Bodies also drop a coin that you can run over and pick up for a bonus, which is pretty neat. So that it's just cool. like, uh, get paid to be good. Programmable money again. Exactly. Man, there was this one game that we played. Uh, I was trying to think of the name of it. The first person shooter? Yes. Uh, it's escaping me. It was such a cool game because it was Bitcoin Bounty Hunter. That was what it was oh, called. Oh, yep. Bitcoin Bounty Hunt, actually. Ding, ding. Yeah. Ding the bell. The, uh... <laughs> premise was it was just a first person shooter a lot the same you were just like cyborgs running around but in the worlds uh kind of like counter-strike you know you get sats for kills the uh there was also a sat box that was dropped upon death the sats would be bigger the more bounty you had so like if you were good and racking up a bunch of kills and surviving a lot you would stack what you would stack that amount and like the amount you dropped when you got shot would get bigger and bigger there were also random boxes that would spawn so you could if you were like just a survivor guy but not like good at getting kills you could run around just picking up the boxes as they spawned and the boxes were paid for by the advertisers and you could buy a digital ad in this world and it would show up like on billboards in the levels so the levels would have little billboards so like our bowl after bowl logo was in there and oh, nice it was such a cool use case for a whole, uh, you know, a whole lightning ecosystem because there's advertisers and they're directly paying, you know, the prize money essentially. And, you know, for exposure and a link, um, like the sat boxes that you ran over, if it was f- funded by a certain ad, like that would be what popped up at the top, you know, on your heads up display. Uh, yeah. So it was really cool, like the the idea behind it and the use case, but um, it's no longer supported in development. Like I think oh, the damn. devs moved on to something else. Was that Zebedee as well? It was not was Zebedee. Outside? It was like it's its own. It was its own thing. But nice. Zebedee did uh, feature at least one or maybe two Mint Gox tournaments that uh, had that in it. Anyway, that's a. Are you game much? Are you a big gamer? No, not really. Um, in the most I gamed was in high school, but I still wasn't super hardcore about it. Yeah. Just playing Call of Duty with my friends, basically. Gotcha. Yeah, I uh, used to play a lot more, but uh, not so much these days. I might have to get into Bitcoin gaming, though. I can get some sats. Exactly. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun stuff. I just always get owned at CSGO. 
I try to go into like the free rooms. Sometimes I'll have like a Zebedee sponsored room, you know, where they'll throw like a thousand sats into the match. So you don't have to pay like an entry fee to get in. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I just get smoked <laughs> constantly. Uh, but they also have like these one player games like. Uh, no, Saru Toby. Saru Toby, that, that monkey swing game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just make the monkey swing around and try to pick up bananas or something right <laughs> mm-hmm. okay that sounds less stressful and lightning crush is kind of like a uh oh yeah candy crush knockoff yeah exactly clone of candy crush gotcha i love it those sound those sound more of my alley less stressful than getting wrecked in uh csgo oh csgo yeah. <laughs> i would have to play it for you got to put in a bunch of hours before you start like mm-hmm. getting that timing down and all that stuff you know when we were playing Bitcoin Bounty Hunt, I was all right because I was just like so into it and not very many people played. So it wasn't like a big pool of players that uh, had all this experience. You know, everybody was kind of learning it at the same time. Mm. But uh, the problem was that most of the development was done in Europe and it was all these like European servers. And so I over here would have like a bunch of lag. And there was like US servers, but probably a. F- fourth of the players on the u.s servers so most of the times people would log on they'd get into the eu servers and i'd have like five times the lag and just be getting wrecked when i shouldn't have been and getting really frustrated (laughs) i think there's a twitch of me like swearing and being pissed off about (laughs) i have to look that up just getting uh zoinked yeah excellent so um bitcoin you said that you needed a few touch points before you really got it um, mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of pick your brain about what the things were that sort of were those aha moments or sort of were like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't what I thought it was. Maybe this is something more. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think whenever I started going down the rabbit hole, like the first thing that caught my attention was just Bitcoin as a investment with asymmetric upside. Um, you know, like 100 to 1 upside. And that was just kind of the Bitcoin is digital gold viewpoint. It's just a better version of gold um, whenever you really dig into it. And I think that was very compelling at the start. It still is a compelling use case, I think. Um, So it was really just from the investment standpoint. I wasn't really into the self-sovereignty aspect at first. Um, but I would say that is kind of the second thing that really caught my attention and kind of blew my mind all over again was this idea that you can have a a self-sovereign form of money where you don't have to trust any single entity. Um, that's so completely different from anything we've had before. And if you're a, you know, a dissident in another country in an authoritarian regime or um, you're, you know, in some sort of difficult spot, you have this freedom that you never had before, which is to store 24 or 12 words in your head and go across the border or flee um, and hide your your value and they can't confiscate it from you. Um, So I think that was the next thing that really kind of blew my mind was that feature of bitcoin and i it's it's just there's no other asset or form of money that can do that and so it's completely different in that from that standpoint as well so it's just 
all these different things that Bitcoin does, and it's kind of the first thing out there that can do uh, that has these different properties. Yeah, it's it's really wild because um, I don't know, like the <clears throat> like I said, a lot of people come to it from so many different angles, and I think like some people come to it from like a uh, oh, it's like anonymous money angle and then they kind of have to learn it's n- not really mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um you it, it's it's pretty pseudonymous but uh with enough effort and patience uh i think that a lot of inferences can be made when you're you know transacting on a public ledger let's say totally but um for me i'm sort of glad i came from like the degenerate gambler side of things because um I lost Bitcoin for other reasons that weren't market reasons. You know, I didn't, I've never lost money because price go down, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really nice because like, I never really have sank like USD into it hard uh, until like incredibly recently. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things for me is like, why wouldn't you not, um, be your own bank and your own payment processor for like a few hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once once you set that up, uh, not only can you process payments, you can help others do the same on the Lightning Network. And then, you know, over a long enough time, your node becomes self-sustaining. It's like it pays for itself. Mm -hmm. It's just routing payments and taking a little tiny fee. And, uh, like, it's not even a greed or a profitability thing. It's just like, a, oh, yeah, my node is paying for itself. Yeah. Just by, sitting there, just by sitting there validating blocks and forwarding uh, transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to ask you, because uh, we have the, we have the uh, value tag pointed to the, I believe it's your node. It's labeled Mitch in the uh, KC Bitcoiners podcast, the uh, Orange Pilates yeah. podcast, I should say. Yeah, that's say. mine. And then there's a Casey Bitcoiners node. Is that a, is that a separate node? Um, is that still on there? Uh, I think I have a channel to it. But I'm oh not yeah sure. yeah, the Casey Bitcoiners node. I I tried to do it on Orange Pill Addicts for the splits, but I think be, maybe because it's Sea Lightning or something, it it can't receive it. Interesting. All the payments fail to it. Interesting. Um, so I'd like to switch it over to voltage because that should work, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, I had it on there at one point for the splits, and then I think I took it off. But yeah, the KC Bitcoiners node is the node that we run for the meetup. Um, so we can take donations on it via a BTC Pay server that we have set up. And uh, we used it to fundraise for the block party in April. You can do like a specific crowd fund for a event that you're having or something that you want to raise funds for. You can have a target amount of sats. And so we did that. Um, but BTC Pay Server is super pow- powerful. I love that. Um, I love that tool. Yeah, we've had great uh, experience with it. Laura, yeah, the block party was my first experience with it. Yep. And it was seamless. Just, it, it really was, is. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. They have so many great features, kind of everything you could think of. Yeah, I always uh, point people to that. With it's it's kind of funny with onboarding because um, I feel like people are really interested in onboarding, and then uh, you kind of tell them a couple solutions, and then they get uh, 
sort of into like wormholes of, well, how do I set it up? How do I get going? And then I, I really have a tough time recommending stuff that's easy, but takes the sovereignty away. You know, mm-hmm. um, I have a really tough time trusting third parties and I also don't like to like give advice to people that I don't follow myself, you know? Um, yes. And that the number one, the number one thing I, I like to do is like run my own equipment and stuff. So with BTC pay, the, the beauty is you don't even have to do like a fully, um, you know, like a full raspberry Pi in your house type node setup. Like you can just spin up something on Linode or something out there. And have a BTC Pay server. I think we had one on. Uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember now. It was a different L name. Luna Node. Luna Node. That's it. Yeah, that's yes, what I use right now you. for ours for the meetup. Yeah, we had one on Luna Node and uh, worked really great. This was before the podcasting 2.0 stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, then when we got into that, I was just kind of like, I don't know. It was like within the first ten episodes, easily. I, I think episode four was the first one I heard. And then uh, by, like, episode 6, 7, 8, 10, somewhere in there, you know, I was like, uh, we need a node and we're just going to do this. Like, <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything, you know? Mm-hmm. My interest in Bitcoin was basically, I had, I had, I know how to send it. I had done everything on chain up till then. Uh, I had had a wallet hacked and emptied from me once, which was uh, pretty hurt. Is phone wallet? A Electrum laptop wallet. And I think it was either the laptop was compromised or the uh, software, like the Electrum version I downloaded was like a spoofed one. One or the other. But I restored from seed and got wrecked. Mm -hmm. Which is also kind of why, um, I don't know, I I hear guys a lot talk about the memorize your, your 12 words or your 24. And I am very much for that. I think that's a smart idea and a great idea. But I also would say if you do that, do it from a, like one you've never used or restored, you know, do it from a fresh, uh, a fresh instance that's never yeah. been like, you know, typed in or anywhere. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. Just, yeah. Roll some dice. Yeah. And generate your new seed words and memorize those. Cause uh, I, would, I would definitely never put like a huge amount of money in that unless I was in a very dire circumstance, but totally, um, I, it's definitely a tool to use to have different funds in different wallets. I really like too the idea of, uh, spreading things out, having several different spots where it's at, you know, like totally single points of failure are a real pain point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, don't bet on the races, man. Like, uh, I think I put ten million sats on uh, Trump to win the election in twenty twenty. In twenty twenty. Yeah. Oh man. I know. Well, I probably would have made that same bet. We got wrecked. Yeah. The odds were nice, you know. It was it was going to be like three point two to one or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, thirty two million sats. I could make that easy. And I was like, no. <sighs> Never mind. But all those losses, man, those are like actual losses. So when I hear people like, oh, I lost all this money in the last, I don't know, four or five months, you know? Yeah, from the exchange rate. I'm like looking at my sats balance and I'm like, no, it's all in there still. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have 
my early days when I very first like started thinking about it and bought a little bit and then used it on Bovada. That was like 2018-ish. And I, at one point, went back and looked at my Coinbase transactions and was very upset at myself. Lots of buying to deposit onto like Bovada and then sending back and selling. Like, oh man. Every sale. What was I doing? I know, I know, I know. Yeah, everybody's got to do the dumb shit, I think. In one way or another. Like, I've never sold ever one time. And I've had Bitcoin since like 13 or 14. So, coming up on 10 years. And I just never really had a. Back then, it was a big enough pain in the ass to go from dollars to Bitcoin and back. Most of my interactions with any kind of coins were through faucets. And then I think I bought like 50 bucks on my birthday because I want to play poker, you know? Yeah. And uh, that was like it. That was the extent. And I remember it being like not that easy. But yeah, uh, I could see that back then. God, I can't even. I wish I could remember the service I used, but I just straight up don't. Um, and yeah, I wish I had it all too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. The, looking back on those cells was very painful, but you know, it's a good lesson. Right. But on the other hand, I think I'm going to be really grateful years from now when uh, we just like leapt into the the node thing and the Bitcoin for the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. It was wild. I don't know. It was just like the way that Dave and Adam were talking, I could see the vision that they had. And I was just like, man, we want to do this. It was like a hundred podcasts enabled mm-hmm. when we got in there. And I was like, man, that's crazy. I was like this isn't something that's going away. This is something that's just going to keep growing, keep getting bigger. And we want to be there for the ride, you know? And like I said, I didn't know anything Jack diddly about lightning. Even I'd never made even a lightning transaction. I didn't know what it was. I never ran a node, never done any of that. You know, I've always just like used wallets and, uh, I just knew like, Oh, okay. Well, if we start now, then it's just going to force us to learn. Like if we start now, then in a year from now, we're going to be like, wow, we know a lot. And then two years from now, we're going to be like, Oh, things have changed. And we've seen all those changes. Um, I'm kind of interested in what you think about, uh, like your future goals in the space. Like everybody's either, uh, orange pilling or they're, or they're working on projects or, you know, uh, something and I was interested like you started the meetup mm-hmm. you are a definite evangelist but uh, sort of how do you see that uh, call like what's your call in Bitcoin do you feel like it's a good question um, I think right now it's just to continue to grow the meetup and potentially uh, you know we've talked about trying to do something like what they're doing out on the west coast they have like the west coast bitcoin network and so it's more than just one city it's kind of more of a region and they're all connected um so i think that would be cool to have like a midwest bitcoin network and connect like you know nashville st louis kansas city omaha um, and collaborate and share ideas and best practices and things like that that would be cool yeah so i think that would be cool but overall i think just continuing to grow the Kansas City meetup and 
add different types of events. We started doing coffee events recently, and I think those are cool. Very different vibe yeah. than the meetups now because the meetups get, you know, 20 to 25 people. But at the coffee meetups, we've had like four to six. So you yeah. just hang out, drink coffee, start your day, and talk about Bitcoin for like an hour and a half. And you can hear the entire conversation. You're not missing out on anything. I kind of feel like uh, the coffee meetups were sort of like what you were describing in the early meetups, you know, where it was like... Exactly. No, it reminds didn't. me, it totally reminds me of the early meetup days. Very much the same vibes. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have that again, have that option for people at least. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it, it seems like, you know, you're hopping days back and forth, which is cool because then like different people can make it too. Yeah, exactly. We had some people say like, Friday mornings are ideal and other people might say Wednesday mornings ideal. So I try to kind of split them up a little bit. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I went to, I was that the first one or the second one? You were at the first one. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was OG, OG coffee. OG. I'm a, I'm a coffee head. What can I say? We both are. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's a whole lot else as far as like goals, just, Keep on keeping on with KC Bitcoiners and keep learning. That's what's so awesome about these, uh, I don't know, like serialized things that we do, whether it's a podcast or whether it's the meetups or really even like on a longer term vision, the block parties. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, well, we just know we're going to show up. We have this thing that we do. And then once, once you do the first one, you're like, all right. I know how it do it. I know what it looks like. We're going to do it again and make it better. And then just keep exactly. going and just keep going. And and over time, like you can't really know in the moment. It doesn't really f- even feel like things are changing. But then when you look back and you're like, wow, what, a year ago, two years ago, it's crazy like, how far it progresses or it just like has this natural evolution to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What's the the saying you overestimate what you can do in a day and underestimate what you can do in a year. I like that. I don't think I've heard that before. That's super true with the meetup. I mean, we've got, I've got like a slide deck now. We do an agenda every meetup. We have different types of events. We've got, and it's way more than just me that, that kind of puts things on. So Trent's running like the lunch meetups now. Um, so everybody's kind of doing their part. Chris is... Uh, spearheading the block party he did the one in April and did an awesome job spearheading the one in October doing great on that so it's uh, it's been really cool to see it grow I'd say the the other like goal that I'm working on in the Bitcoin space is just to uh, go deeper into like the technical realm because I'm not a you know software coder or anything like that sure I don't have a computer science background but um, I'm kind of jealous of people who do, so I'm trying to bridge that gap a little bit. Nice. Uh, you told me you were reading a couple of books. Uh, yeah, I'm... Programming Bitcoin, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's right. Programming Bitcoin by Jimmy Song. I'm like eight. I started chapter nine earlier, um, so I'm like a little over halfway through, and definitely some of it's still over my head, but I can generally follow along. Now, is that all about uh, core, basically? Um, yeah, he kind of builds it from the ground up. Um, so you start with learning about elliptic curve cryptography, which is a mind blowing thing in its own right that I 
that's one of the things that is over my head, but I can kind of comprehend it. He does a pretty good job. Um, and then you go into all the different transaction types, and now we're getting into constructing blocks and proof of work and kind of how that works from the code perspective. Yeah, that sounds cool. I really want to get some kind of a programming Bitcoin books, and uh, specifically, I wonder if there's anything like awesome about Lightning. I'm sure there is. I think there is... Um, I can't remember the name of it. Mastering Lightning, I think, or Mastering the Lightning Network. I think it's by it's published by the same company that did Jimmy Song's book. Mastering the Lightning Network. A by Renee Picard, layer. maybe. Uh, looks like uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. Ah, okay. So he has and, that one. Uh, There's another one out there too. That's and Renee similar. Picard is also okay. on the byline. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so that might be a good one. Olalua Asun Token. Damn. Oh, that's the guy who Apologies. talks like a mile. Um, oh, I think a I know. A thousand miles a minute. I think I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about now that you say Yeah, that. from, uh, gosh, L&D. Where the, they post as uh, um, interviews lines. and they're like, uh, is this guy for real? Yeah. I mean, whenever I listen to him on a podcast, I slow it down to 0.75x. Dang. Which is insane, because normally I'm like 1.25, 1.5. Yeah, that's wild. That's some serious skills. Yeah, he should be uh, super sharp, though. He should be reading those disclaimers at the end of ads. (laughs) He should be. (laughs) Bitcoin doesn't pan out for him. (laughs) He's born to do that, man. (laughs) He really is. Absolutely kills it. Uh, I was curious, because I was teaching evening classes all week, so I did not get to go to last night's meetup and last night's talk, but uh, I was wondering, selfishly, if you could give us the TLDR of it. And uh, I know that uh, Brady Swinson of Swan Bitcoin was there. Yes, that's correct. Brady's the man. He's like 45 minutes outside of Kansas City, so he's pretty close. Nice. Um, but yeah, we reached out to him a few months ago asking if he'd want to do a presentation or anything. And so he was going to present on the many use cases of Bitcoin, but instead we decided to just do kind of a round table. Um, he kind of figured that most of the people at the meetup are already pretty familiar with all the different use cases of Bitcoin. And so he, we just did kind of like a roundtable of Q&A with Brady for, I don't know, like 30, 45 minutes. Nice. And it was a lot of a lot of questions about Swan and where they're going, um, which was really cool. They have a lot going on there. Um, and Brady was recently promoted to co-founder like retroactively, which was super cool of them to do. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, they've got a lot going on. They're putting on the Pacific Bitcoin Conference in November. And they've got a lot of new products that are coming out in the next 6 to 12 months, I think you said. Um, So we talked about Swan a lot and then talked about there were some newbies there. And so they were asking about basically why Swan is Bitcoin only. So he went deeper into the... Why Bitcoin versus altcoins? Why Swan doesn't sell Cardano, basically. Interesting. And and why is that? I mean, I don't want you to necessarily speak for him, but can you give... Because I know a lot of people who listen to the show passively or who are... Uh, you know, not all of our audience is Bitcoin people, although a great mm-hmm. chunk of them are. 
Um, but I am really, we, we were trying to do this thing. Let me back up. We were trying to do this thing where we were like, uh, telling people this stuff, you know, and, uh, researching it and trying to like counter FUD. And then it was just so, uh, not necessarily exhausting, but it just like made unnecessary friction. And I don't really care about exit, uh, friction necessary or unnecessary you know i'm like uh nature mike i love confrontation bro i fucking savor it i i'm into confrontation that's fine but uh it just wasn't actually producing results was why like i kind of was like dude i'm done orange pilling people like it's not really it felt more like a roadblock than a uh anything i was accomplishing you know yeah i feel that but i feel that I guess with that caveat, like, what would you say to people who are, like, just foaming at the mouth, like, looking at uh, yields and gains and, like, trying to spread coin out, you know, like, uh, oh, you don't want your eggs in one basket and all this kind of different stuff? Yeah, I would say money, especially in the global world that we live in, the interconnected world, thanks to the Internet, I think money is a huge network effect and... It's going to be winner take all. And so I think Bitcoin is the best money um, versus all of the other cryptocurrencies. I think there is some, like it's helpful in a certain level because you've got these thousands of coins that are experimenting and trying different things that Bitcoin can pull from if it wants to, if, if people see something interesting. Um, but overall, I think money and wealth and value will flow to bitcoin because it is it's the hardest money um it is the hardest one to change which i think is an important factor and it already has such a head start that um i don't think anything is going to catch up and the other thing that comes to mind is just how bitcoin is building differently than most altcoins it's building with that foundational base layer that is really difficult to change um, and it's keeping block sizes small which makes it very easy to run a node relative to every other altcoin project basically and i think that's really important and contributes to the censorship resistance because if there's only two nodes on the network one from the founder and one from coinbase then you know you don't your cryptocurrency is pretty pointless. It's you might as well just run a database. Yeah, um, it's super centralized at that point. Yeah, exactly. So Bitcoin is very much different in that way, and it's building in layers like the Lightning Network on top of that. So that if something were to happen with Lightning, there was a bug or a, some sort of vulnerability that sucks, but the Bitcoin blockchain is still there, and we can rebuild Lightning sure. or some other second layer. It's a more secure, long-term approach to building, I think. And I think that'll win out and survive. It's a, it's a game of survival, and I think Bitcoin's the the one that's best suited to survive. I think it's the, the longest existing and most attacked. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet yeah, still, there it is. Yep, still the king. It's awesome. And growing, so... I had read earlier, interestingly enough, that uh, I guess... Putin has outlawed the uh, use of Bitcoin in uh, Russia for payments. Yeah, I saw that earlier too. I didn't get a chance to kind of dig into details. I just kind of saw 
that headline and I thought, okay, all right, well, here's, here's everybody's, uh, blue and yellow flag, like opportunity. Now you can, <laughs> now you can send Bitcoin to like Russian dissidents and, uh, yeah. fight, fight Putin directly with the lightning network. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You've got China and Russia as the two countries that have come out very much anti-Bitcoin. So choose your side, I suppose, Russia and China or everyone else. I have a kind of inkling or feeling or a hunch that uh, it's probably not going to stop the Bitcoin network in Russia. <laughs> no. No, you've seen uh, reports recently that miners are still mining in China. I can't remember the estimates. I think it's around like 10, 15% estimated hash rate that's still in China, even though they banned mining. Um, so... Yeah, you'd I think have to. It will very much be fine. Go find that, kick the door down, shut it down. Like it's not that easy to do for no. a centralized government to cut off all of the heads of this hydra that can just grow back like the next day or you know whenever. Like exactly, it's like and there's endless, such a profit incentive for them to do it. Definitely, just an endless game of whack-a-mole you'd have to play. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's just really cool to see those use cases because. Uh, you know, on this show, we're very familiar with the government doing uh, all that it could to stamp out a decentralized plant that mm-hmm. happens to grow pretty much everywhere in the fucking world and uh, take very little resources to make. And yeah, it's, you can't pull it off. You can't do it. Right, I, I exactly. S- people, at the end of the day, it's it's a bottom-up thing. If If enough people care about something and want to use something, then... That's going to win out. That was kind of my, I never had that FUD of, oh, the government will come shut it down. Like I've just, I've just never taken it seriously. And the reason why is I see all these weed parallels and war on drug parallels. And I'm like, you know what? Like the government really is not that great at shutting shit down. Yeah, that's so true. Like that's so true. There's a few things they can pull off, you know, on a large scale with like their brute force uh deals but like you know just look at weed yeah yeah i've always thought that about bitcoin like if you are a single person and the government wants to get you then good freaking luck you're probably screwed but if there's thousands or millions of people that are all doing something at the same time like they don't have a chance to to really nip that in the bud the best they can do is like aggressively go at somebody to try to set an example or a precedent. Yeah. One uh, example that they've definitely gone after and made an example of was Ross Ulbricht. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wonder how much you've read about his story or or followed that at all. I'm familiar with it. I'm not deeply familiar with it. Um, but I know that he was... He started... Um, I can't remember the name of it, the Darknet Market. Uh, Silk Road, yeah. Silk Road, yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, basically got a freaking life sentence in prison for that, which is just uh, a little bit absurd. It's really wild. Uh, the more you look into the Ulbricht case itself, the events surrounding, um, the events surrounding Silk Road and its uh, rise and fall, a lot of the... Actual drug dealers that were also swept up were, you know, 
given anywhere from like three to ten year sentences and something like that. Um, there were a couple of uh, there were a couple of feds that got charges uh, based on uh, perjury and false evidence, making up that he uh, you know tried to hire hitmen and all this shit, which is still which I still hear repeated all the time mm-hmm. uh, by people who just like don't know really anything better. Uh, it's crazy, like what the government can do, and you're you're absolutely right. Like if they single one person out, and they're like, "No, nah, this guy, mm-hmm. we want to make an example of him." I mean, even Chuck Schumer had a, like a huge hand in in pursuing uh, this guy's demise, essentially. Jeez. But it's just wild. Like Ross, his role was like he made the website happen. You know, he just set up a website and was like, "All right, well, Bitcoin will work through here." Mm-hmm. And then everyone else went breaking the law through it, you know, but just like having the website up there, like he was like the guy, like they considered him like the top of this like crime syndicate pyramid. When right. It's Which not he really. Just, he just made the website. Yeah. It's not really like how it went down at all. Right. right. And yeah, he has multiple life sentences or something ridiculous. Yeah. 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 It's a sad one. That kind of also speaks to the, uh, um, the lack of anonymity, you know, like the, it's not like a silver bullet anonymous thing that we're dealing with when it comes to, uh, transacting on a public ledger, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where, you know, tools like Samurai Wallet come in handy using CoinJoin. If you, if you want to make more anonymous transactions that can't be traced, there, there are tools out there in the toolkit. I'm interested to, uh, I was interested to ask you, like, uh, how much emphasis you put on non-KYC and, like, what do you think about, like, I don't know, what what's too late? You know, like, you, I, personally, I've used a lot of different exchanges uh, mm-hmm. just, to, just to see what's out there and use them and get a feel for it, you know. Um, I've kind of settled on strike is where I go mm-hmm. these days, but I'm always open-minded and, like, if I hear something new, you know, I'll try it out. Like, for instance, that uh, machine I tried out the other day, we got, uh, now the name of it is escaping me. Uh, BitRamp. BitRamp. Mm-hmm. That's the one. There's all these kind of different trade-offs, and, you know, some some are higher fees and less KYC, and some are lower, no fees, and more KYC. And I think that Strike kind of is great at running, like, the middle line there, like, they require very little KYC and, and charge no fees and they don't have like really a bunch of degenerate gambling or degenerate trader tools, you know, like puts and stop losses and all the different fucking, uh, shorts and other options that you can do if you're like just trading and like chasing the, I don't know, chasing the rise and fall of the price action, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or a thousand other cryptocurrencies, the yeah. crypto of the week. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The the pump of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just think that uh, I, I'm interested in in how much is KYC important and versus non KYC and like uh, I don't know. Do you do you constantly have your coins spinning around in Samurai or? Yeah, so I have actually gone full no KYC in the last like six to nine months, probably. Um, which I still 
you know, I don't fault people for buying on the Swan or Strike or wherever they buy. Um, but that's kind of all that I had bought up to that point was KYC sets. And I finally got to the point learning more about KYC, how it's completely ineffective at doing its intended purpose or its stated purpose, which is to stop criminals. Right. They'll just find other ways around it. They will, I mean, you, the KYC rules require all these entities to take in all of this personally identifiable information, but then they don't secure it properly and it leads to all these data leaks, which the thieves can literally go out to the dark net markets and buy your identity and then use it to sign up for your KYC account. So it's not really effective. (laughs) Right. It's actually harmful to everyday people and to most people. There's in the news, you see a new data leak every day or every week. Um, And some of them are massive, like the Equifax data leak. Um, The, I think BlockFi had a data leak, so it's Coinbase has had data leaks. Ledger, um, not that that's KYC necessarily, um, but just an example of where your KYC data can go and what can happen to that data. So I ultimately have moved to only buying no KYC. I view the, the lower fee on a KYC exchange, I view as basically the discount that they give you for giving up your information gotcha um and it's kind of i don't know once i kind of saw how pointless kyc was and how much just sheer waste in time and capital that that causes i just kind of stopped i uh tried to avoid kyc just like on principle basically very nice. It just it just kind of makes me sick, so yeah. I try to avoid it. It's one of those things I would really like to do, you know, and uh, I think on a long term, we'll probably f- uh, figure out. I have all of these like uh, wish list uh, wants, you know. Whether oh yeah. It's, uh, whether it's redoing my website or whether it's uh, a few integrations in podcasting 2.0 we want to get done, um, coding projects, things of this nature. And uh, the KYC has been on my radar, and I just feel like a lot of these things, it takes just some kind of catalyst to throw me the, over the edge, you know? Yep, exactly. And that's why the the BitRamp machine at our meetups is super cool. It gives people a way to buy non-KYC. They don't have to drive to an ATM. They're already going to be at the meetup. They just bring cash, or you can pay on uh, and I don't think trying to strike, but you can pay on Cash App or Venmo, and you get non KYC sets. And one and a half percent of the proceeds go to KC Bitcoiners, which is also nice. Nice, yeah. So there's a, I want to, is it a five percent fee? Yes, it's five percent, which is pretty typical in the non KYC world. Mm-hmm. Um, ATMs are usually a little bit more than that. Yeah, seven to maybe even ten percent. Um, but if you buy. If you buy on Azteca, which is what BitRamp uses, that's going to be 5%. And if you buy on somewhere like BISC, you're probably looking at 5% as well, I would say. That was another thing I had on my list was BISC. I uh, know that you've... I asked you at a few meetups ago, like, if you had uh, 
experience with Bisque or, you know, new, cause we were talking non KYC and, mm-hmm. and then I didn't even realize when I asked you, you were wearing a Bisque shirt <laughs> at the time. Yeah. I love Bisque. I haven't used it lately just because I have, I basically have a Bitcoin dealer, which is kind of cool. I just have an Azteco vendor and I have his phone number. So I just text him whenever I want to buy Bitcoin. Nice pretty cool there's something really sexy about a bitcoin dealer to me i know it's pretty awesome right (laughs) yeah i got a guy for that yeah you always want a guy for all your stuff man that's the best way to go that's right i'll I'll give you his number if you want it (laughs) i I, i'm definitely looking into that for sure um the other thing that i was thinking about non-kyc is from bitcoin's perspective i think it's if everyone KYCs whenever they buy Bitcoin, I think that that's a lot worse for Bitcoin than if half of the people KYC and half don't. Sure. Um, I think it's better for everyone's privacy and just reduces an attack vector on Bitcoin. Um, so I think that's valuable. And then from just a personal standpoint, if the government was to try to ban bitcoin which i don't think they will but on the off chance that something like that were to happen um i think having a stash of non-kyc stats is better because the first people that they're going to um, start sending letters to is the people who they know for sure have bought a certain amount of sats and they know where the sats were sent they can track it so yeah just the lowest hanging fruit i guess exactly i'd like to avoid being the lowest hanging fruit in that situation if i can no doubt yeah i don't blame it at all um no that's that's a that's a great way to look at it actually i just have to uh i've been thinking about like what how do i move forward you know i guess that maybe that's the question uh i've got sats from uh coinbase which is the worst of every uh, kyc i have sats from um and Coinbase Pro is kind of what I was using, but it's the same shit. Same. That's that's where I started out too. They had the lowest fees that I could find. Yep. And uh, a pretty UI and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I've used Kraken. I've used um, Strike, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't used Swan before, but um, you know I'm open minded to that. I'd like to try a bunch of different stuff. But I have recently installed Bisque, and I wanted to kind of. Uh, Try that out, but like, what if it's you know if you already have that KYC stain on some of your coins, can it be pulled off? And also, you know, if you buy non KYC, like, do you put that somewhere else? What do you what do you do? Yeah, good questions. So, with the coins that are already KYC'd, you, I mean, there's still improvements that you can make. The hardcore approach would be to sell all of it back KYC and then start over and rebuy non-KYC. That's a tough sell for a lot of people. I didn't do that. Um, What I did instead is kind of the middle ground, which I slowly sent that into Whirlpool and coin joined it. So there's still a record out there that I bought X amount of Bitcoin on this date and I sent it to this wallet but then after I coin join it, it gets kind of pooled together with a bunch of other Bitcoiners Bitcoin, and you can't really trace it after that point. Um, so that's what I did, or I'm in the process of doing with my old KYC sats. And then 
to the non-KYC question, what do you do with it? I do have, I typically use my Moon wallet as my non-KYC wallet. So anytime I have incoming sats from a good non-KYC source, I typically send it to either Samurai or Moon wallet. Um, and I like to, I don't know if there's necessarily rhyme or reason. I think the best privacy solution um, would be to send it to Samurai, Whirlpool it, and then spend it from there. But I also love Moon Wallet because you can uh, use on-chain Bitcoin and Lightning Bitcoin interoperably. Yeah, that's pretty slick, actually. Mm-hmm. I love the the usability of Moon. It's very simple. Um, so I, I try to use both wallets for non-KYC stuff. I've not explored, but I know that on the Umbral store, there is a Samurai Wallet app. And um, mm-hmm. I just I have never tried the one in Umbral, um, so I'm not sure. I think I tried to install it at one point, and I had trouble with it, and then I gave up. I know that um, the node that they make, the Ronin Dojo, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lightning layer. It's base only. Correct, yeah. And I know they have some uh, opinions on the privacy issues with lightning, although... Yes. Um, it's so funny to hear that kind of stuff because I, I also hear Lightning uh, cited as being more private. And <laughs> indeed, you can. What's cool about Lightning is if you have a Lightning wallet, you can receive sats into it and then spend them or hold them or whatever and never, ever make an on chain transaction if you want to. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a new possibility in Bitcoin. And in that sense, uh, I would argue it's. Um, there is a lot of privacy and um, benefits there. Yeah, I would agree. I think because you can totally avoid the whole public ledger thing. Exactly. Altogether. Exactly. It's just like a different type of trade off. They can't track every transaction you ever make, but what they could do, if somebody was trying to surveil you, would be if you were receiving to your node. Um, whenever you generate that invoice, it includes information about your node. So then they could look up your node and see mm-hmm. how many channels you have and what your outbound capacity is and gather, you know, sure. a rough estimate of how much Bitcoin you might have. Maybe even um, the UXTOs associated with... Uh... Exactly. And then they could potentially trace those back um, even further. UTXOs. So, My dyslexia mm-hmm. is kicking in. Ah, it's okay. Um... So yeah, that, there's it's always just like different trade-offs. It's so fun to get into this kind of um depth of it, you know, of like worrying about KYC non-KYC, worrying about the privacy implications and like how private can we get on a public uh, ledger and then stepping back for half a second and thinking we're so new and when it comes to adoption that a lot of people are still at the, oh, Bitcoin versus all this other stuff argument. <laughs> and some people are like, oh, all these internet monies are just the uh, crazy wild west, you know, or like mm-hmm. tulip bubble. We're so early. And um, it was that discussion the other night in Telegram about how few people use lightning on bit refill. Yeah. That really blew my mind. It was just kind of like the things that we take for granted when it comes to like finger wag, what the right way to do it is or what you should be doing, you know, like, uh, some people not only like 
are not woke to that, but they've even heard of it and disagreed, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny how much pushback there is within like other people who've been Bitcoining for a long time. And, uh, that's just another signal to me at like how early of a stage we're at. Like we don't all fully understand this thing that was unleashed, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, it, it definitely puts it in perspective. One of the wild things that I think that, um, is already solved. is just like a state of mind thing, but there was a lot of pushback from Bitcoiners when podcasting 2.0 started up that like nobody would spend Bitcoin, <laughs> you know? And then it's like not a valid, uh, uh, it's not valid to use Bitcoin. Why are you using Bitcoin and lightning on the protocol when you can use these other coins that people will spend? Right. Or, uh, Bitcoin's not valid as a, uh, value transfer which I think has been solved really beautifully by lightning and uh, mm-hmm. just having seen how much easier it is now a year and a half in versus when we've like first got started a little over a year and a half. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of guys that were just like, no one will ever send you Bitcoin. It's too rare. It's too scarce. And I'm <laughs> like, dude, it's coming in every show. Like, uh, people are already doing it. It's not that no one ever will. It's that people are already doing it, man. Yeah. You're already wrong. So, I don't know, it's just been kind of crazy to see, you know, like some of the fiercest pushback comes from people who also have had Bitcoin for a while. You know? Yeah, the the whole, like, don't spend your Bitcoin argument is, I think it's completely flawed. Because if you if you spend $20 worth of Bitcoin... You can just rebuy the twenty dollars immediately right exactly. then, and you're in the exact same spot as you would have been if you just used your fiat. I think it's <laughs> like, just a blinders when it comes to accounting thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. It is, and like, and the potential tax liability, I suppose, is what holds some people back as well. But um, I don't know. As far as like a financial accounting standpoint, at the end of the day. It doesn't matter really if you spend Bitcoin and buy it back with dollars. You're in the same position. That's right. So I think it's kind of a flawed argument. Yeah, I agree. It's like if you're going to support value for value podcasts and you're going to send them, I don't know, 20 bucks on PayPal and then PayPal keeps their little 5% or whatever, you could just spend 30 bucks on Bitcoin, send half of it, fuck, send 15, you know, send 15 (laughs) bucks of it to the podcaster. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep more over the long term. It's going to be worth more. And then your number doesn't go down. Mm-hmm. It's like exactly. a, everybody wins kind of thing. Exactly. I think it's yeah, like a, totally agree. a really great strategy to, uh, you know, encourage more savings in Bitcoin too. And I think, uh, a lot of the people in our audience are like sending Bitcoin and saving more Bitcoin both at the same time. Cause now it's cool. Now there's like something about it that you can do with it. Now it's like, oh, I have this way to interact, you know? And the PayPal note, like, it's fun and you can still do stuff and and we value the PayPal stuff too because it can, you know, we can set up auto pays on some of the bills that we have to pay to keep the show Mm -hmm. running. But there's just something, there's just this, like, electric excitement about about shooting the sats over and about, like, how it goes pew when it lands. It's, like, right (laughs) away. And how all the splits are just split up and we didn't have to ask anybody, you know, like I didn't have to, I didn't even have to call you. I didn't even have to ask you Mitch for permission. 
to put you in my split for tonight. I just put you in there. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. even ask what your node was. I I just looked it up and I threw it in there and that's the way it goes, you know? And, um, it's so cool to have this permissionless shit because we've been just browbeaten for so long about, Oh, you have to do this. And then you have to do this. And you have to tell daddy every fucking thing about it. And you have to fill Mm -hmm. the forms out and triplicate. And this Bitcoin world, it's like, you don't have to do shit if you don't want to. (laughs) That's right. You don't have to, you don't have to comply. You don't have to trust anybody. You don't have to, you know, and and a lot of people who are like wringing their hands and are like, Oh, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? It's like, what if man? Like, I don't know. What if the (laughs) bridge falls on your head when you drive under it? Like, (laughs) Right, exactly. It's a useful tool right now um, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's just kind of cool. It's just a wild time, man. It's a wild time. Uh, what I'm curious, what is the first thing you ever bought with Bitcoin? Because we have a first time I ever topic every week, and that was the topic maybe like three weeks back. That's a good question. I think it would have been my... Bitcoin 2021 ticket, I think. Okay. As the first time. That's whenever I was starting to switch from like HODL only mode, never spend, to where I started thinking about that more deeply and being like, all right, circular economy is important. The ability to spend Bitcoin is important. Um, and I want to encourage that. I want to give, I especially want to give and spend Bitcoin to the vendors that I value the most. Sure. Um, I think that's like a huge vote of confidence in the vendor and just showing them that you care by paying with um, the best form of money, especially if they get it too, then it means a lot. Um, so I think Bitcoin conference is, tickets is the first thing that I spent Bitcoin on, if I remember correctly. And uh, how was that, by the way, the whole Miami extravaganza? Uh, it, <laughs> it is really fun. And whenever I get home each time, my immediate thought is, I don't know if I'm going to go to this next year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But overall, it's a really good time. This year, 2022, we had a bunch of the Kansas City crew there. And I had been in the Bitcoin space for uh, a decent amount of time to where I had other contacts just from around the the nation and so it was really cool to hang out with with those people and go out with them see them at the conference um and then the other thing that was better this year was they had the open source stage so the the first time i went i was relatively new in 2021 and all of the main stage speakers were i was like starstruck by because these were all the guys i was listening to on podcasts for hundreds of hours yeah you hear Michael Saylor talk and Jack Dorsey talk and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so that's cool. But by the second year, I was less in on that. You know, I'd heard them talk so many times. Sure. I'm like, what am I really gaining here? And so I went to the open source stage and that was fantastic. That's They recorded it and it's on the Citadel Dispatch uh, podcast feed each day of the open source stage. And it's just more technical topics you're hearing from Bitcoin developers and app developers and things like that on kind of the cutting edge of what's happening in Bitcoin. And that was amazing content. I would go back next year just for that. That's super cool, man. That's kind of what uh, I need a lot more immersion in. Yeah. 
I, uh, I listened to, I didn't go to all of the talks at the open stage while I was in Miami, but whenever I got back, um, I listened to the podcast feed and it's such good content. Yeah. Learned a lot. That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I've seen the tickets and I just say it's like too yeah. high of a number for my blood. Yeah. That's kind of my thought on 2023. I've got, there's so many Bitcoin conferences now. And I'm probably over budget on spending on this thing. So yeah, and I've been to Miami twice. I might still go, but maybe I won't get tickets to the conference or something like that. I'm um, just hanging out with people. So we'll see. Miami's a it's a unique city too. Um, it's like Vegas without casinos, kind of. Yeah, I've never been um, to Miami. It's it's been very lively, especially others. if you go with Brian. He won't let you sleep. <laughs> Man. Right on. That sounds like uh, the way to go. Then uh, we can sleep when you're dead. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and that's that's the one, by the way, put on Bit- by Bitcoin Magazine, right? Yeah, that's so, right. So you have done some contributions for them. I was interested in like how you. Uh, does that something like you submitted, or were you approached, or how, how did that work out? Yeah, I submitted. Um, it's actually. I haven't done it for a while, but it was a relatively simple process. They'll take submissions from anyone, just anonymous plebs, any, you know, you don't have to be a big name or anything like that. And you can just, uh, find the contact info. I think on their website, they have something. And I ended up just messaging one of the editors on telegram and sent him a link to my draft article and he had some comments for me and then submitted it and like a week later it was posted nice very simple that's incredible and we've had i think four or five kc bitcoiners that have written articles for them now nice i need to uh make that a notch in my belt i just have to yeah value for value article would be great yeah i think a v for v would be sick um i think uh I've been really talking a long time and coding a little time on this um, whole idea of the uh, music version of these podcast mm-hmm. apps, you know, and it really has to be the next step in uh, in the whole value for value journey. Um, it's it's really cool because the, everybody in the uh, music space is ready for something like that. Mm-hmm. and also not ready for something like that. It's one of those beautiful paradoxes. And so like, I'm just so excited to like watch it happen and like watch everything kind of crumble and bloom all at the same time. You know, it's going to be like, uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be really crazy. Oh yeah. I very much look forward to that. Sounds really exciting. Is the, uh, is the main hurdle to that just like the, the corporate of it right now and how much licensing and everything goes into it you know i think that we can do the whole thing without having to worry about licensing which is um my belief and Mm -hmm. i was like surprised to see different pushback in um different arenas of that Hmm. but uh from from like the value for value so people have to understand i guess and i try to i've tried to reiterate this like a few times in the recent past like value for value is not my idea it never was it was uh adam curry and john c dvorak of the no agenda show came up with value for value and pioneered it and made it work you know 
turned it into something that was like, um, you know, it didn't make them like friggin' millionaires uh, overnight and all this shit, but uh, it it was able to sustain them for a living, you know, and they were able to uh, earn their living doing this podcasting on a value for value system, and it also enabled them to have total creative control and freedom over their product intellectually, you know. Plus, as Adam likes to always say, like, they didn't have to go to dumbass meetings, <laughs> which is <laughs> fantastic, you know? That's you incredibly just, valuable, yep. It's like, uh, the amount of meetings I would have to have uh, for half of the dumb shit I say here. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're like, uh, hey, uh, Dollar Shave Club called, and they were like, what the fuck is this all about? You know? They don't think that your content is super brand safe. Uh, yeah. But uh, the whole value for value thing, like, it's it's sort of uh, implied that there's not, it's not licensed. Like, so the value that you put in is the content, mm-hmm. and you say this is yours up front. It's like, uh, there's no paywall, there's no charge, there's no license, there's no uh, anything other than the stated expectation that if it's something that you get value of, you should think about what that value is and you should assign a number to it and send it back. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of, I don't know, that's like the core or the crux of, of everything that uh, I've enjoyed in digital content since I started listening to no agenda. And like, uh, I don't know, it was like 2013. It was like right before slash around when I first dabbled in bitcoin and the two were like so far separate from each other at the time you know like me starting to listen to a no agenda had nothing to do with me starting to poke around with bitcoin they were like in completely separate universes and in fact uh they used to shit on bitcoin on the show back then like that mm. you know people would like want to donate it and they'd like <laughs> refuse it um i think that Adam said a couple of times that he did get some kind of big Bitcoin donation, but he like sold it all, you know, like at some, at some peak that wasn't a peak, you know, like two grand or some shit, you know what I mean? Like it's a peak in the time and at the moment, but then like now you look at it and you're like, Oh, it's, it's crashed down to 20 K, you know? (laughs) I know that's, that's the funniest thing. It kills me every time. Like, yeah. When, you know, when when I remember like those three hundred dollar buys, I'm like, dude, to crash down to twenty k, like kiss my butt on that. <laughs> yeah, sign me up for those crashes. No shit. Oh my god. But no, the 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 value for value thing it frees you from having to do all that. You don't have to hire BMI to be your uh, like thug squad to go out and like go after people who play your copyrighted music and shit. You can just put it out there. Right. Anybody can play it, mm-hmm. and then you're just asking V for V back. It's so yeah, it's much a, more freeing. Yeah, it's a much more clean concept. And then um, there's like there's nothing for the middlemen to do. You know exactly. Just, you control your own shit. You get you get the value, all of the value back. There's no middleman, like you said. It's so it just feels so mafioso, you know, like protection money and shit. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like. That's what it feels like for all of these. Like, for me, I see all of those as shit coins. I see all of those as, like, the central banks of music. Yeah. When you're yeah, talking about, like, analogy. PROs, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, for, well, for, your, for a fee from you, we'll give you protection. And then for a fee from these guys, we'll let you play our shit. 
mm-hmm. and we won't break your legs about it. Like, really? Oh, yeah. and, and then we'll go to the United States government and we'll like get them to codify that like if you cross us, that's a hundred thousand dollars statutory fine. You know, like these guys aren't good people. Yeah, it's ridiculous, and they're not like in the they they do this in the guise of helping artists, but like. <laughs> Artists can help ourselves uh, do far more, I think, than what these middlemen have like supposedly done over since like I don't know the '30s when these th- things started popping up. Yeah, yeah, over, yeah. I think in the long run, open systems will win like that. Open that systems. Game. It's all about that open systems, open source, man. Yeah, that's that's the beauty. You've got twenty four seven, three sixty five people all over the world working on it, never stopping. Why do you want to read a few boosts that came in, um, including 10,000 sats from Chad Farrow uh, on that CurioCaster tag, who sent a pre-show boost in. So cheers, Chad. Thanks, Chad. Uh, and then 9999 from Harvhat on that live uh, CurioCaster tag as well. He oh, yeah. came right when we were warming the stream up, I believe, one hour ago. And then uh, 3333 just came in also. An hour ago from Chad Farrow out of Fountain. So he has been uh, hopping back and forth uh, between these podcasting apps. What's your favorite so far, like, interface, or, like, what do you find yourself, like, boosting through when you're sending boosts? I have been using Fountain, um, but I have recently been interested in trying something else out to compare it to. So I am open to other suggestions. I've heard of... CurioCaster, but yep. I believe that's just a web app, not like a true app. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't run natively. It's a web app, so it can run on your phone. Uh, mm. I find a better CurioCaster experience is on the desktop, personally. Gotcha. But uh, it's still, you know, it's still functional. I think just about all of these things have their hiccups and snags. Um, the one I really want to try using more often is, is Podverse because they are supporting live tag. Um, uh, now it's just them and CurioCaster that's like, uh, we're able to get live boosts through, but, um, I don't know what the caveat is or what, what you have to do. I think there's like, isn't there something to do with Albi, like getting an Albi wallet? Yeah. Something. It's just one of those things that's on my radar to do that I haven't, uh, kind of picked out yet. Another thing, if you're kind of into the nerdier side of uh, the command line, is this uh, Boost CLI, which I I need to... I've been meaning to uh, fire it up for the longest. I tried a couple of times, and I was just too dumb to figure it out. But now, uh, C-Dubs tells me that he has got it uh, where you can install it using pip. Oh, nice. Which is fantastic. So now I have to uh, try that out. And um, there was this time. So I owe, uh, for the listeners that may have forgot or may have not heard us talk about this, I owe CETA some sats back, hardcore, because uh, back in the early days of him making Boost CLI, he was just testing it. And he was testing uh, some sats into our node. And he put in a millisat number into a sat field when he was testing. <laughs> so he sent like a thousand more. He sent a thousand times what he had intended to. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll get you back with those sats. 
using Boo CLI, right? Because I'm like, I don't know, I'm one of those starry-eyed retards that needs it to be like absolutely like a storybook or something. I don't know. So it's like, it's on my to-do list right next to Boo CLI. And then I'm like, I'm like, yes, I'm going to boost you back with Boo CLI. It'll be, that's how I'm going to do it. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try easy mode now that I can just throw it on with Pip. There we go. C-Dubs, like shout it. out in the chat. I see that he's just, uh, he's just joined us, by the way. Uh, yeah. Um, shoot, man. I had, uh, I had something else on my, on my mind and then I totally freaking I totally spaced on it. Well, if you're looking for value enabled apps, you can always go to nudepodcastapps.com. Oh, <laughs> thank you. The whole list of them there. Yes. That's pretty cool. You uh, Step one is take off all your clothes, and then step two is type in nudepodcastapps.com into your browser. And um, I think, I want to say there's a, if you do that, is there a, fil- is there like a basic or default filter already applied? I think it just gives you everything back, yeah. Yeah. So in the filters, um, if you are looking for another podcast driver, you can choose app for your app type and then you'll want to hit value for supported elements and that will give you something that uh is able to boost from the wallet castomatic if you're an ios guy that's ios only i don't know if you do ios or if you're android no, guy like me. no yeah. ios for me i'm joining around pod friend is it's got like a pretty ui okay and i really like their ui um my thing with Podfriend, i'm just an idiot and i forgot my login or whatever and i had a tough time resetting it was one of the first ones i used and for whatever reason like the reset password thing was not working at the time and then i just haven't Mm -hmm. been back it's just you know it's weird like those apps like if you just catch each other at a bad time and then like you walk off and do something else oh yeah oh yeah um do you get do you have much experience with breeze uh yeah i breeze was one of the first it might have been the first uh podcasting 2.0 app i used i think sphinx was the first and then i moved to breeze breeze at the time just destroyed my phone battery whenever i used it though. oh yeah um so then i moved to whenever fountain came out i tried them out and it was much easier on my battery life so interesting so that's what i've been using since see i have seen posts uh Kind of recently, so there was like a pop in fountain adoption when they rolled out this we'll pay you to listen to podcasts thing. Yeah. And then I just saw a bunch of people posting like, uh, dudes were shooting like laser thermometers at their phones and other guys were taking like thermal cameras of their phones and being like, oh yeah, look, my phone gets really hot when I listen With to fountain. fountain. Yeah. Huh, and I think it's just certain versions of Android or whatever. Like, I don't know if they've just like not optimized it for all builds or something, you know, it's, yeah. I don't, I don't know diddly squat when it comes to mobile dev, but other than like vaguely, I know that it's a pain in the ass with all of these different distributions, you know, and sometimes you get it like rocking on the one that you have on your phone. Cause that's what you're checking everything on and checking right. it against and then other people are like, oh, geez, look, it's like wrecked on mine. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's going to be really tough. But uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of uh, stuff you can choose from, which is pretty cool. Does, uh, does Podverse have a app? Podverse is, yes. They okay. even have an F-Droid uh, version. 
if you want to go like super private. Open source. And uh, I'm not sure about... I know that not all versions support boosting. I, I okay. don't know... I know that uh, Mitch from Podverse, he's like... He doesn't want to be the custodian, basically. Yeah, I don't blame him. So he was basically like... I think that Albi is one of the integrations. I don't know if it's via their web app or what. Like mm-hmm. I have, uh, I have to claim ignorance on on Albi because I haven't looked into it yet and I haven't used it yet. But uh, from what I've kind of gathered through Toots on on Mastodon is that uh, um, they are just going to roll out innovations as they are able to non custodially do that. Gotcha. I respect that. Non custodially, I should say. And then I think a lot of other people are using uh, Ellen Pay as kind of the uh, wallet integration. Yeah, that's that's what Fountain uses. I know. Um, yeah, I was interested too if you had any thoughts about the uh, Pomp being kind of like uh, in the spotlight for this Fountain rollout, but then. Only for like three days or something. Like I haven't seen anything unpromoted from him anymore or anything. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. I I didn't see a whole lot about it, but I saw some videos of him pumping fountain. Um, so I don't I don't know what's up with that. It was like uh, day one when they did the update. That was the promoted podcast. Was uh, Oscar going on pomp? Okay, and yeah. talking about fountain and uh, then. Pomp had said, it's so great like that I invested in it personally, is what he said on the show, but then he didn't really make that clear of what that meant. If it meant like he was like joined the board or if he gave him a big donation or if he mm-hmm. literally like if literally like buying the promo package was what he was referring to, you know? So yeah. I don't know. It's like all murky and then I just I haven't heard anything since. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Um I wouldn't be surprised if he was an an investor. Sure. Um, I mean, he picks a lot of projects like that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked by that, but I feel like I would have heard him talk about it more early if he was an investor, but maybe he just became an investor. I think he uh, just got uh fountain pilled. Okay. Good. So for we're, him. Try, we're trying to save <laughs> the boy. We're trying to save his. Soul. Yeah. That it's, it's hard because pomp, the pomp podcast is the very first podcast that I really, got into that was bitcoin related and that's kind of what helped orange pill me at first like get me somewhat interested uh down the rabbit hole so i hate that pomp is i don't know i haven't listened to him recently i've heard he's kind of gotten more more shit coiny and and whatnot which is unfortunate but also i gotta give kudos where they're due he uh he's definitely influential in my journey I think it's just one of those things that comes back to uh, when we do purity tests, like everyone's going to come back fucking failing them, you know? Exactly. Because we're people. Exactly. <laughs> so like, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like if if you have a, a big enough microscope, a long enough timeline and like a pure enough purity test, like nobody f- fucking passes. And that's yeah. the beauty about Satoshi getting the fuck out like just like launching it and then disappearing the fuck mm-hmm. off the face of the planet. Like a lot, I know a lot of people use that as like an attack on Bitcoin of like, Oh, you didn't even know the guy made it. And it's like, well, you realize that's actually like fucking perfect. Right. 
Yeah, that's ideal. Because he's been out of the project for a decade. I mean, it's grown so much since then and continues to continues to do so. Yeah, and there's been like with every one of these peaks, it's been like plenty of opportunities for any kind of nefarious actor to pull strings, sell big, all of these things that people say is going to happen, and you know, mm-hmm. just keeps rolling on without yep. any of that distraction of cult of personality, without any of that hot target on your back of being the CEO or the you know whatever like somebody who needs to give a statement when shit happens. I'm always tickled by these like companies, you know, stepping up and being like, Oh, we freezed withdrawals on all of our accounts <laughs> on all your accounts. And you know, we have your funds locked up and you can't, you know, this is a, this was a very hard decision we had to make. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, who's never available for comment is Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> That's right. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Just like thing. all the plebs, There's... you know, still. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about uh, self-sovereignty, holding, holding your own keys and t- taking custody. It's like, oh, yeah, freeze this, bitch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can't freeze this one. Absolutely. Um, running, your no- running your own node, super important. Um, once you get to that point in the journey. I think it's, I don't know, I like to tinker with things, so it's been really fun for me, too. Totally. I think that I've, I mean, I... I knew absolutely nothing about Bitcoin other than how to send and receive it until the node thing came along. So, like, Podcasting 2.0 has taught me all this shit I know. Heck yeah. It's been fantastic. In fact, Podcasting 2.0 is what got me to Bitcoin uh, meetups in the first place and uh, looking you up and meeting you. So it's kind of come full circle, you know? Uh, and speaking of C-dubs in the chat, he... He's the one that got me thinking about it. He was like, oh, yeah, I went to this Bitcoin meetup over here in California. And I was like, damn, I wonder if they have something like that around me. <laughs> well, sure enough, man, you uh, put it together and you had it already cranking out by the time I showed up. Heck yeah, shout out to Podcasting 2.0 for getting you there. Definitely. Glad to have you now. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on and spending some time with us. It was, it's been awesome. Of course, guys. That was super fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Anytime, man. Anytime. I'm glad to be uh, in this space regularly, you know, and thinking about Bitcoin regularly as part of, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, like hobby or uh, work? or For me, it's work and play, you know? And it's also like something I can build a future on. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that. Awesome. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us, Mitch, and thanks to all the bowlers out there for joining along um we will always be back at it every tuesday night and of course uh, we got another one coming up on the 19th of july we'll be seeing you for episode 177 right after dhm plug is wrapped up on the no agenda stream right around nine central till then i will remain sir spencer wolf of kansas city and i'll be dame dolorian may your bowls burn ever brighter I like money. Yeah, yeah. I like. I like money. Hey, listen, you dicks! Send money. All cash, baby. Thank you for the value for value. 
Boldak.